This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 232, and we are recording on May 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Except, I mean, it's happy Thursday to you listeners. Right. So there's that. <laughs> uh, what is time? <laughs> well, yeah, I was just going to say, time is sort of not, I'm not great at it right now. Time has no meaning. Nope, 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 nope. Mm-hmm. Also, I got a Switch light. I caved and I ordered one. A what? It, if you, so, the new Nintendo oh, console, yes. there's like the full situation, yes. which is ungettable right now. And then there's like the Game Boy slash Nintendo DS version, which you can get. So, but anyway, now I have more video games and that's, I already couldn't read and now who knows what's yeah. going to happen. Well, coping is what's going to happen. Which is, Yes, that's, which is you are 100% correct. Yes. We're that, all that. coping. We're all coping <laughs> in various and sundry ways. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about books. But first, if you're new to the show, let me explain how it works. Uh, You send in questions or, you know, any of you, you plural, send in questions and we will do our best to find your next great read. You can tell us books that you love that you haven't been able to find ones like it. You can ask for recommendations for friends or relatives or family members. You can ask for book club recommendations, whatever you need. We will do our best to find you a good read. You can send those questions either by email, get booked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And let's see, we, oh, right, if you have a time-sensitive question, we will do our best to get to it on air before the date, as long as you put time-sensitive, big letters, all caps, either the first line of the form or the subject line of your email. Um, If we're not going to get to it on air, we might send you an email, so look for those. And then we have a ton of feedback from listeners uh, with further recommendations. Let's see. Summer recommends for the 14-year-old for the 13-year-old reader looking for a witch story, maybe check out The Casket Girls by Alice Arden. That's Alice with a Y-S. The main character is 16. She returns to New Orleans in immediate post-Katrina to a world of magic that ties to her ancestors, vampires that are on the loose, voodoo ghosts, and of course, teenage romances, both natural and maybe supernatural. Hey. One, yeah. One of the side characters grapples with sexuality. Uh, three of the four books in the series are out already and trigger warning for natural disaster remnants, which includes lots of corpses being found in mm-hmm. random places. Lovely. Uh, Summer also recommends for the reader looking for a book for her twin sister, Get a Life by Chloe. Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, which is a fun romance that has an MC with a with fibromyalgia who has a get a life plan that starts by moving away from her family so she can take care of herself. Feedback for Lily looking for a badass female witch with a romance arc. Uh, Eric recommends Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin. 
Elizabeth has two suggestions for the listener looking for fiction and nonfiction written in a fragmented style. Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong and In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. The former gives me strong Jenny Ophel vibes, but a little gentler. And the latter is one of the most brilliant books I have ever read. And I don't mm. even normally like memoir. Well, those are strong recommendations. Mm. <laughs> and then last but not least, Michelle also wants to recommend In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado for Stephanie, who was looking for vignette style nonfiction. So that's a double All vote right. there. I need, I got to read that book. It's me been too. on my list. I have. Yeah. It. I just, you know, story of our lives. Like, yes. It's in my house somewhere. I just haven't gotten around to it. Right. One day yeah. we will read all the books. <laughs> I think that's Liberty's job. Yeah, well, that, you're not wrong. That is Liberty's <laughs> job. Uh, all right. So I'm going to read our first question and then we will take a break for a sponsor and then we will get to the recommendations. So first question is from Polly, who says, I'm a straight single woman in my 30s who just recently left a good relationship headed towards marriage just because it didn't feel right. I'd love to read fiction or nonfiction about women who did such a thing, left a good, decent man or relationship and still created happy lives or women who found love a little later but will, were still able to have kids slash a partner like they wanted. In this vein, I've loved Spencer by Kate Bullock. The rules do not apply. And I'm about to read No One Tells You This by Glennis McNichol. All right. So let's have a sponsor message. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken. Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Amanda, women who left relationships and then did other things. 
All right, look, like, what you want to read is Eat, Pray, Love, and I'm so sorry about that because this is such a controversial book for a lot of reasons, but Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert is what I'm recommending to you uh, because it's a memoir, and I don't even know if I need to explain what Eat, Pray, Love is about to people. Like, everybody knows what it's about, Uh, but when she turned 30, she had a midlife crisis. She was a really successful um, writer at the time. She was married, had a, a husband, a house in suburbia, and all of that was completely miserable and left her husband. He was a perfectly nice man who wanted children with her and treated her well. And she just wasn't happy and left for that reason and that reason alone. And so, you know, she goes on this whirlwind journey. She goes to Italy to kind of heal her um, body image issues and learn to love food again. She goes to Indonesia. And then I don't remember, Bali, I think. Is it Bali? I don't remember the last place she goes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, And learns to like reconnect with her spirituality. And then in the last portion of the book, she does meet a man who she goes on to marry like in real life, not in the book. Um, In real life, she also divorced that man and met a woman who she fell in love with. Uh, if you follow her on Instagram, you can, you know, get all of this backstory. But she does go on to have a, a perfectly fulfilling, lovely, happy life. And a good portion of the book is her dealing with the guilt of having left a perfectly nice man and kind of, you know, shaken up his life and um, broken his heart uh, in order to save her own, uh, which I think is a lot, uh, is like a, a really big part of of this of this being in this situation of leaving a good relationship because it doesn't feel right in like a nebulous way that you can't really articulate, but you're still doing it because you know it's the right thing. Um, and a lot of what she says is really useful. It's a very privilege heavy, obviously, like she is a white lady who goes to India to discover spirituality. Like it's it's very like mm, touchy in that way. But, you know, that's exactly what this book is about. And I think that she handles it as well as that situation can be handled, if you know what I'm saying. So that's Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. I I, w- I just want to say, for the record, I took this question to Rebecca because I know that she read and loved No One Tells You This by Glennis McNichol, which she definitely recommends for you and says is great, but is kind of singular. Um, and we were talking and talking, and we finally settled on Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, and this comes with trigger warnings for alcoholism. This comes for... Oh, my God, I can't. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. This comes with trigger warnings for alcoholism and bulimia, uh, which she does discuss in, you know, some detail in throughout the course of the memoir. Um, But she she, so she leaves her husband because in part because he's cheated, has cheated on her and they're going to therapy about it. And there's lots of various things going on here. Um, He's a great dad and they are trying to repair their relationship but then she sort of famously meets Abby Wambach at mm-hmm. like an author dinner and falls in love with her. Love and so, uh, but really the point of this memoir is her talking about how she has been unpacking the messages that society has given her about what she should want and like what her life is supposed to look like as a woman who has a faith, um, as a woman who wants to be in a committed relationship and wants to have a family and children. Like she is talking about how she absorbed very specific messages about how to be a woman in the world and tried to fulfill those messages and was deeply unhappy and not because, you know, everything was terrible. Like, she was making herself miserable trying to fill roles that just weren't for her. Um, and so this is all about the process of her, like, you know, pinpointing those messages and then letting go of those, quote unquote, obligations and finding 
what she actually wants to do, which seemed to me very relevant to your question. Like when there's not anything major wrong, it can be really hard to figure out like, well, why aren't I happy? Um, And I think there's a lot of digging that then has to happen. I mean, I know from my own self, there's a lot of digging you have to do into like, well, what would make me happy? Like, and why, why am I not doing that already? <laughs> why can't I have that? Or why don't I have that? And like, what are those things? So uh, she's got a lot of like, very, you know, um, like, there's a lot of sentences in this book, I feel like you could put up on a quote board, mm. kind of like make a pretty Pinterest image out of to like, remind you of, you know, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And she's a very frank and entertaining writer as well. So I'm about halfway through that and enjoying, enjoying the ride. Uh, uh, and I also just like I feel like I'll have to say that Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl mm-hmm. Strayed is also a book you should have on your bedside table during any major life change like any ever. Uh, so, yeah, Untamed by Glennon Doyle and Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. All right. Our next question is from Lisa, who says, This summer we're moving from California to Virginia, and I'm looking for audiobook selections for the drive. In the fall, I begin my MLIS specializing in children and youth service slash public librarianship. I also have two daughters who may or may not listen in, a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old. What are some more current middle grade or YA audiobooks that would keep us all entertained and will help me prep for my future in the library? I've already listened to Harry Potter, The Lunar, Lunar Chronicles, and some Rick Riordan. We've also got a pretty solid book collection of popular titles, things like Mysterious Benedict Society, Book Scavenger, Mr. Lemoncello's Library, and Al Capone Does My Shirts. <laughs> I've never I heard love of that, that title. But what a great title, Al Capone Does My Shirts. Um, last thing, please no narrator with a British accent. I know it's weird, but it puts me to sleep, so not good for driving. Okay, so I picked Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder, which is a middle grade fantasy-ish kind of book. I mean, it's not fantasy-ish, it is fantasy, but it doesn't have, like, magic necessarily or, like, elves or anything like that. Um, So the whole book takes place on one island where everything is perfect. It's, like, perfect weather, really great food, there's shelter, there's everything that kids... There's a library, there's everything that kids could ever need. Nine kids live on the island. Um, They go to sleep in their cabins, you know, every night, wake up every morning, do the same thing every day, except... One day every year, a boat appears from out, you know, out on the ocean bearing one new child. So the new child comes and then the boat takes the eldest child on the island away. So every year on the same day, new kid comes, oldest kid goes. The main character is Ginny. And um, when the book opens, they call it a changing. Her best friend, Dean, who is the oldest, leaves on the boat. And in coming is a little girl named S. And so Ginny is the new elder. She's the new oldest child on the island. And so it's her job to kind of mentor S and teach her how to survive on the island, what the rules are and all of that. And then when the boat comes, it's her job to get in it and leave, except she refuses to. She refuses to leave because she's scared and she doesn't know, you know, she's afraid of the unknown. She's lived on this island her whole life. It's everything she's ever known, everything that she um needs is provided for her and she doesn't know what is out there in the big unknown so when the boat comes she pulls it up on the sand and refuses to go and then everything kind of starts to fall apart a little bit i mean this is very obviously a metaphor for growing up um and i think it's a really useful book to have in a in a, in a um children or youth library because there's so many things that kids encounter that are that are this you know that are like but i don't understand but that's scary i don't understand what's going to happen i don't know what's going to happen and i maybe am refusing to do it or i may be acting out because i don't want to face it you know kids whose parents are getting divorced kids who have lost a grandparent uh, maybe kids who are dealing with like i don't know a global pandemic like all of that can be very frightening uh and i think that 
they will really relate to Ginny's journey of accepting that being more curious than afraid is like the only real way to live. Um, and it's it's just really like beautiful and nice writing and um, kind of quiet and just great. I really like it. So that's Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder. I picked Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older, which is a super rompy, fun, slash also addresses some serious issues alternate history with dinosaurs. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It's the first in a series also. So if you like it, there's more coming. And it takes place in 1863. So during the Civil War, and it starts in New York. And there are like dinosaurs just, you know, in the world, like roaming the streets like you do. And the armies of the Civil War are actually like riding dinosaurs into battle. It's a whole thing. And there are a group of children um, on a field trip, actually, from the Colored Orphan Asylum uh, when it's like it's all incorporating actual history when the draft riots break out uh, and their fellow orphans are kidnapped. And so now they have to, like, save their friends. They have to flee where they were in Manhattan for Brooklyn. Um, they go to this Dactyl Hill neighborhood where there's a... Um, non-white, you know, people of color community sort of setting up independently, banding together to keep each other safe. And, you know, they like learn how to fly on dinosaurs and they have to go rescue their friends. And it's just a whole situation thing. Um, so I feel like it would be very entertaining for a car ride. And I think it works for all age groups. And Daniel Jose Older, I think, does a really good job in all of his books of like giving these, you know, weighty issues like like, yeah, Civil War and, you know, racism in the North during this time period and the draft riots and all of these things, but making it accessible and action-y and fun at the same time. So again, that's Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older. All right, our next question is from Isabel, who, by the way, lives in Westry, which is where the outrun by Amy Liptrot takes place in the Orkneys, uh, which I talked about on the hand cell. And Isabel, thank you for writing in and telling us that. I am delighted <laughs> to hear more about that environment because it was so much fun reading that book. Okay, so Isabel says, I'm looking for some fiction where the forest, in a non-creepy way, is key to the book. While being in lockdown on a small, idyllic Scottish island is certainly nothing to complain about, I miss trees. We have had no trees here since the Vikings chopped them all down way back when. And now it's too windy, so any miracle trees we can get to grow just grow stunted, spindly, and sideways. So I'm looking to get my beautiful forest fixed through my books until I can travel to the mainland again and hug some trees. Can I just, like, let's take a moment to enjoy, like... The Vikings chopped down all our trees <laughs> as Europe, a problem. Europe set. is so fascinating. Like, I forget how young America is and how our problems are so, like, recent, you yeah. know? And yeah. they're definitely not the Vikings chopped down all the no. trees. No. <laughs> it's so, I just, I mean, that's like, that sucks. But also, it's like, yeah, talk about weird problems. History, weird history problems. <laughs> Good times. Um, Amanda, what did you pick? I picked The Overstory by Richard Powers, which comes with trigger warnings for suicide and self-harm and won the Pulitzer, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, won the Pulitzer in 2019. 
Um, so this is a really long book about trees, and I think we'll definitely scratch the itch that uh, that you have for wanting to read about forests. It's separated into four parts: um, root, trunk, crown, and seeds. And every and so in the first part, it's a collection of all. They're almost short stories, really, little vignettes about nine different families or characters and how their lives are shaped by specific trees in their like vicinity. Um, some of these vignettes follow one person. Some of them follow several generations of a family over time. And then as the book carries on, like the trunk portion of the book brings all of these people together around certain stories about trees and then crown brings them apart and then seeds goes looking into the future. The book spans time like hundreds of years in every portion um, and is very overtly activist. Like this is a book by a man who wants you to care more about trees than you do. And like that is the point. And it's all wrapped up in these stories about um, people who come and go and have drama and, you know, like death and birth and marriage and affairs and all of this kind of stuff while surrounded by these like ever present, really long living beings that can communicate with each other and are sentient in ways that we don't necessarily consider in our day-to-day life. And he's making really broad statements here. Like this is not a, a book without a message. You know, he's making really broad statements about how humans treat the natural resources, specifically trees uh, in our world and how our mindset of like constant growth and constant improvement and progress and owning and all of that is kind of counter to the nature that we are surrounded by, but like to pretend is only there for our own purposes. So I think this is exactly what you're looking for. That's The Overstory by Richard Powers. Yeah, we have been doing a read along here of that and we just finally finished. It's a long book and Mm -hmm. we've been reading it out loud over the course of like, I don't know, it might be six months at this point. Wow. And it is I like its strongest point is whenever it's talking about trees, those are the best parts of that book, in my opinion. I totally forgot to mention that, like, there are portions of this book where Richard Powers gets in lanes that are not his lane. Like, he is writing about East Asian immigrant families. He's writing about disabled characters. Like, not his lane. And it is a little cringy in some portions. But I still think because of the tree, the tree content, hashtag tree content, um, it's still what it's still what you're looking for. Just, you know, kind of going with eyes open. Yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, okay, so I I try not to do these so close together, but it's not my fault <laughs> that Prodigal Summer by Barbara Kingsolver is the perfect recommendation for you. So I'm, you know, I know I talked about it pretty recently, but here we are again. It really is such a great book about trees, among other things. Uh, it does come with trigger warnings for loss of a spouse and bigotry, and it is. Ugh, one of my favorite books about the natural world. And it takes place in part uh, following a reclusive like ranger slash biologist, wildlife biologist, um, who lives in a cabin on a mountain in the, I'm pretty sure it's the Appalachia area. And, uh, oh yeah, Southern Appalachia, um, near a farming town. And she is like, you know, excited that coyotes are finally returning to the region. And then she encounters this hunter who is in her forest and therefore in her space. She feels very proprietary. Um, And while she is both very wary of him and, like, doesn't want him touching her coyotes or, like, messing with any of the other predators in the region, they also end up having an affair. Whoops. Um, And it's very interesting how that gets handled. And then down in the farm town, there is a 
um, young city woman who has just married a farmer and is really struggling to fit in with his family and with the town. They're all sort of keeping her on the outside. And there's a lot of like sort of classic miscommunications, people thinking one thing and actually meaning another. And it's a whole situation. And then there are these old feuding neighbors, one of whom is this older woman who is running an organic orchard and like won't use pesticides and is like very eccentric. And then her like cranky old bigoted white man neighbor who just is like, your weeds are getting on my plot. Like, 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 move your stupid sign. I hate you. Um, And how they work that out. And it's just great. It's just great. And there's so many amazing descriptions of the natural world in here. And the way people interact with it is examined, but also these story, like the the characters, you fall so hard for them in very different ways, and it's really lovely. Uh, so again, that's Prodigal Summer by Barbara King Solver. All right, our next question is from Michelle, who says, "I'm in need of escapist reading, and that means queer fantasy romance. We're talking magic and mages, sexy humans falling for even sexier elves, turmoil, angst, and through it all, a happy ending." Books in a similar vein that I've loved are The Charm of Magpie series by K.J. Charles, Salt Magic, Skin Magic by Lee Welch, and The Kingdom, nope, The Kingston Cycle series by C.L. Polk. These are all Victorian-era-ish historicals, but I would, uh, which are my fave, but I would love to find something more high fantasy to ramp up that escapist itch. Bonus points for an audiobook. Okay, I picked A Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst for you, which is the first book in the Fire and Stars fantasy epic fantasy YA series this is real high fantasy like kingdoms and princes and princesses and magic and all of that um so the main character I love this book so much look the main character's name is Dina and she is a very proper princess lady person so she comes from a very traditional kind of kingdom she has her whole life has been spent knowing that she's betrothed to a prince from a neighboring kingdom um she knows that her marriage is going to be political but she has hopes that like it'll that they'll like each other maybe even love each other um and so she spent her like 16 or 17 years in her whole she is training for that like learning politics learning the culture of the kingdom that she is destined to be married into um learning how to be a good hostess like she wants to be a good queen she doesn't just want to get married and you know be pampered and taken care of she wants to participate in the life of this kingdom and she really believes in this like she believes in uh royalty she believes in uh the responsibilities that come along with it so that's that's her thing and so when the book opens she is arriving in this new kingdom uh, to meet her betrothed um but what happens is she ends up falling like hella in love with her prince's sister. So that's a wrench. And her, the prince's sister is amazing. Her name is Mare. I mean, her name is like Amaranthine or something like that. But her, her name is Mare. She goes by Mare. And she refuses. She's the opposite of Dina. Like, refuses to participate in royalty. Feels only suffocated by the responsibilities that come with it she does not think it's possible to affect good change in a in a kingdom from like on high on a throne so she has pretty much ignored her royal responsibilities she spends all of her time training the war horses and the stables um and leaving like sneaking out of the of the palace to go um be a spy for her uncle and like live the life that she wants to live um and then 
a really high member of the royal family is assassinated. The two of them come together to try to help solve, like, who killed this person who they both really loved. Um, and their feelings become feelings with a capital F. And then, like, what do you do with that? Because I'm super engaged to your brother and this is really awkward. Uh, and so you get to follow them through all of their angst and all of their feelings and all of the political intrigue. And there's, oh, bonus twist. Dina has magical powers that she has to hide because this kingdom that she's uh, marrying into thinks that people with magical powers are heretics. So she's like double hiding who she is from everyone around her. It's just so great. Really fast read. Super, super fun. So that's Of Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst. I am recommending the Tensorate series by J.Y. Yang. And the first book, although I actually discovered after the fact that I read these in the wrong order. Um, and I do recommend all of them. And they actually fit together a little bit like puzzle pieces, so it's kind of fine. But anyway, technically, the first one is The Black Tides of Heaven. And these are high fantasy in the silk punk vein. So they are, instead of being influenced by, you know, European history, they are influenced by Asian history. I believe these are East Asian history specifically. And um, it's great. It is so, like, there is definitely romance. There aren't any elves, but there's a <laughs> lot of romance. There's a lot of magic. There are some amazing characters. Almost everybody is queer. Like, they're just a celebration of all of those things that you love. And this first one introduces you to the twins, Mokoya and Akiha. And they are the children of a ruler who's known as the protector who sells them actually to a monastery as little kids to be raised by the head monk there for like political reasons basically um and mokoya has a gift of prophecy and akiha is not as you know quote unquote gifted in that way but he's really good at figuring out like why people do things and like understanding the different actions of adults and the politics around him. So and he has really seen he's like seeing firsthand how unjust his mother's rule is. And there's this rebellion. And so he gets involved and then everything gets nuts and you know he has to figure out like how to navigate his sister his relationship with his sister who is not involved with the rebellion but like should she be unclear what's going on there and also his own feelings of being sidelined by you know her sort of shiny shiny gifts and you know being overlooked by other people in his life and it's just the start of this like epic amazing fantasy adventure like again i highly recommend all of the books in this novella series and they are available in audio so again that is the tensorate series by jy yang and the first book is the black tides of heaven and it is time for another sponsor break today's episode is brought to you by sourcebooks landmark so King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Brooke, who says, I almost said book. Our next question is not from book. It's from Brooke, who says, I'm looking for a dystopian slash sci-fi book. It isn't something I read often, but I like to kind of pepper my usual historical fiction slash graphic memoir slash YA reading with it every once in a while when I need to shake things up a bit. Station Eleven, Age of Miracles, and Severance have done this for me recently. I love how everything in my daily life starts to seem weird when I'm reading a book that makes me think about how everything could be changed. Can you help me find something, please? Amanda. I feel like I should note that this is kind of an old question. Yeah. <laughs> this this question came in before March. Um, so, I mean, your life probably seems weird right now without the books we're about to recommend to you, but we're going for it anyway. So I picked The Book of the Unnamed Midwife by Meg Ellison, which won the Philip K. Dick Award in 2014, I think. Um, And this is exactly, I mean, it's dystopian science fiction. It is about a pandemic. So if that's a little too on the nose for you right now, then you can, you know, go ahead and skip it. But in this, in this um, pandemic situation, the main character, I don't think she's ever given a name. Well, that's the book of the unnamed midwife. She's not given a name. She's a nurse. She's a midwife and a nurse. Um, And she exists in this world where the plague that, that comes attacks mostly women and children. Some men do die, but it's especially, um, bad uh for for women and children and especially especially bad for women in childbirth so what's happening is that women are dying at really large rates children are dying at really large rates and women are not not able to bear any more children so humanity is functionally on its way to extinction um and being a woman she survives the pandemic uh the main character and has to figure out how to function in this new world as one of the few remaining women which i'm sure you can imagine causes a lot of problems for the few remaining women in a world full of men with no social structure or laws or consequences anymore. So she um, cuts all her hair off, 
you know, wraps her chest, pretends to be a man as much as humanly possible for her own survival. She she raids pharmacies and collects a bunch of birth control and IUDs and um, like birth control shots and then kind of makes it her mission to find other women who have survived and make sure that they can survive um, the rest of the pandemic because if they get pregnant they're going to die so she's distributing this birth control it's so fascinating it's the only um it's the only post-apocalyptic book that i've read that addresses this specific kind of situation where like what what are we going to do about birth control though like what happens to the population you know um and so you kind of follow her on her various and sundry travels and her encounters with people she has a lot of near misses um from death and like terrible situations uh and she is the unnamed midwife of the title in as much as like that's her actual job to provide like OBGYN services to to women. But she is also because of her ability to survive all these situations and she does ultimately survive like, you know, the book um, kind of helping birth humanity almost into its second into its second chapter. And there is a sequel to the book that, that follows her even further. So that's the book of the unnamed midwife by Meg Ellison. Accidental theme alert. (laughs) My book also deals with uh, birth control in a dystopian future, but from a very different angle. Mm. Uh, I'm recommending Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn, which is the first in the Bannerless saga. I actually haven't read the rest of these yet. Um, the The first book ends on a reasonably satisfying note, but I really want to. I really enjoyed this because it is sort of like... I mean, as much as any dystopia can be gentle, it's not mm-hmm. super violent. Uh, it's actually pretty low-key in a lot of ways. And it feels very, like, exploratory in, in I think, similar ways to Severance and Station Eleven, although these books all have their very own unique feel to them. I wouldn't necessarily comp them in terms of tone, but in in that, like, they're just like, what, let's, like, what would it look like? And it doesn't have to be, you know, all action sequences. Like, it's much quieter than that. And so this takes place on, I believe it's the West Coast. It's not, like, kind of really super specified, but there's economic environment environmental collapse going on. Um, The infrastructure is really patchy and weird. Some places are doing fine, like even thriving. Some places are really not doing great. And the everybody who's uh, banded together and are thriving are practicing pretty strict population control because, you know, look what happened last time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you have to, like, basically apply for a banner, which is permission to have a child into your household. And the households are, like, I don't know, three or four or five people. It's multiple people per one single permission to have a child. And they have these investigators sort of, like, policy kind of things, but they uh, mediate. They're mediators. They mediate disputes in the communities. There's not formal policing, except for like if things get so bad that you can't resolve it yourself, you can call in one of these investigators. And Eden Enid is brand new to her job. She's very young. People are maybe not taking her super seriously, um, but there is a death that somebody has called in an investigation on. And like, is it murder? Is it an accident? Who knows? And as she she works this case, you also get to follow her around in this world. You get to see how she got to where she is and what her past has been like. And it is it's just really fascinating and interesting and a, in a different kind of take than I've seen in other ways. So again, that's Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn. 
All right. Our next question is from Christian, who says, I need a good realistic fiction book to get me hooked back on reading. So I picked Braised Pork by On You, which is kind of a new release. It came out earlier this year, and it's super weird, and I like it so much. It's very strange and quirky, and it's one of those novels where like nothing much happens. It's kind of a character study and you're following this one person on one kind of like emotional or mental or spiritual journey or what have you. Um, so Gia Gia is the main character. She lives in Beijing in a really nice apartment with her husband who's very wealthy, but like kind of older than her and very distant. They've not had any children. They've not had even really like a very close relationship or um, close marriage. And so they have breakfast and she starts packing for a trip. He wants to take her, I think it was to Tibet for a vacation. So she starts packing. He's in the bathtub and she goes in the bathroom and asks him a question and he's dead. Just like dead. <laughs> and they, her, his family will not let her do an autopsy. So she can't figure out what exactly happened? Like, did he have a heart attack? Did he did he drown himself? Like, what what happened? Um, so she doesn't even get that kind of closure about his his death, and he leaves no note or anything like that. He just leaves one sketch, one drawing that he did on the bathroom sink. That's of like a half man, half fish. It's like a weird kind of little creature that he's drawn, and she understandably falls into like a lot of grief and a lot of fear about what she's going to do. He was not, he wasn't very nice to her and he didn't leave her despite his great wealth, didn't leave her any money except for the apartment. And so she has to figure out what to do. So she goes back to work um, as an artist. She was a talented painter before she met her husband. I mean, obviously still is, but was working as a talented painter before she met her husband. Um, so she goes back to work as an artist, but is kind of haunted by that like weird little fish drawing that her husband left. Like, what does that mean? Is she supposed to understand that? Like, did he actually commit suicide? And now she's supposed to know why because he drew a fish man? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So she starts kind of retracing his steps in his life. She goes back to Tibet um, to where her husband had been before to try to figure out, like, was there something here that has to do with it? Like, it's a, it's a weird little mystery that ends up being very based in, um, like, a spiritual experience that the character is having. And so you ask for realistic fiction. This is realistic fiction. It does have possibly a kind of fabulous magical realism sort of thing going on. Or the main character might be hallucinating. Like, it's kind of up to you to make make the call and that's one of those things about um contemporary literary fiction that i really like that kind of weird ambiguous like what's happening here uh it doesn't really tell me but it does tell me a lot about my own preconceived notions and my own biases and things like that so that's braised pork by on you so i am using up our third recommendation <laughs> yes. for girl woman other by bernardine evaristo and i'm doing it because i mean this feels this always feels so dangerous i'm like is this the question i want to use that third you know mention for but the reason i picked it is because i have not read as much realistic contemporary fiction in the past few years because of various like work and also preference things. But this book, when I read it this past year, was the book that reminded me how much I love realistic contemporary fiction. I just had mm -hmm. forgotten. I mm -hmm. forgot how great the reading experience can be. And so I like want other people to have that same experience. So this might be that book for you. And that is why I'm using up our third mention. This book is goes a lot of dark places, although I think ultimately is very hopeful and optimistic. But along the way, some trigger warnings for domestic violence, rape, racism, homophobia, self-harm, depression, and child abuse. Like the whole mm -hmm. gamut, gamut of ways that people are terrible to each other 
exist in this book and are addressed directly and sometimes in detail. Like, it's rough. But it is a narrative that follows these the different lives of these people, some many of whom are girls or women, um, some of whom are not. And they all connect to each other in these really fascinating ways. It's not super straightforward. The first couple narratives are, you know, a, an artist who has been sort of on the outs, um, a Black artist in, in England who is a, a playwright. And one of her plays is finally getting, you know, produced at the National Theater. It's such a big deal. It's her breakthrough into mainstream society. Is she selling out? Is this just like her finally deserved moment? And then you get her daughter's perspective on her mom and then you get a friend and then it really starts to spiral out and you get you're like not always clear initially like oh who's this who is this and how are they connected but they always connect back and I just think that Evaristo has sort of captured an amazing cross-section of humanity in this book that I just, it was like glorious to be part of and to read. And yeah, I really loved it. Um, it's just amazing. And, and, and the style, when I first looked at the page, I was like, oh no, it's experimental prose. <laughs> but actually, I think it flows really, really well. It's very accessible to me and I think it will be to others. So yeah, cannot recommend it highly enough. It was the joint winner of the Man Booker Prize, mm -hmm. super deserved uh, for 2019. Again, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. All right. Our last question is from Kristen, who says, Two of my favorite books, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, and The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood, have pulpy books as a main component of the story, yet I have somehow never read any myself. I would love a few suggestions for books or authors to check out. Almost anything goes, except I cannot stand when ancient or immortal beings start romantic relationships with teenagers slash early 20-year-olds. Ew, just ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That just cracks me up. Uh, okay, Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, um, so I love this question, and I did have to sit down and think a little bit about what Kristen meant by pulpy books. Um, so if you haven't read Saga or The Blind Assassin, both of these books have books in them that the characters are reading. And in Saga, it's like a way over-the-top interspecies romance. And in The Blind Assassin, it's like a very old-school kind of sci-fi. I think it also has some romance in it. Um, also a little bit over the top. So the, the theme here is like, it's over the top. And I feel like that really hits the nail on the head of what pulpy books are. So I picked I Am Justice by Diana Munoz Stewart, which is the first book in the Black Ops Confidential series. And this is like the most over the top thing I have ever read. And it's so much fun and like a really steamy romance. Um, so it's about a woman named Justice Parrish. That's right. Justice. <laughs> oh, uh, trigger warning for sexual abuse of children. So her name is Justice and she is a um was rescued like from the streets by the Parrish family. This really wealthy family of like seeming do-gooders and philanthropists who in reality rescue kids from the street and like train them to be vigilante assassins. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> So she is trained to be a vigilante assassin. They use their power and their skills to take down really high-powered um, people who are, like, you know, harming kids or causing injustices to happen throughout the world and are escaping 
the law. And so she has a new target. It's a child or a human trafficking ring in the Middle East. And so she needs to go over there and take down the guy who is in charge of it um, to, to, to dismantle, you know, this this terrible thing that's happening. The hero's name is Sandesh, and he is formal spe- former special forces and now has started a humanitarian group to aid countries that have been torn apart by civil war. Um, and he, you know, needs money because if you, you know, if you've ever run any kind of nonprofit, you need money and he um gets like hooked up with parish industries justice's family and all of their money um the catch is that he has to deal with their pr person who is jazz hands justice justice parish not justice the concept justice is their pr person and that's her cover and so they both end up in the middle east uh doing their like cover like she is there as a quote-unquote pr person in reality to like assassinate this dude he is there for real to further the cause of his if his humanitarian group um she gets injured in the course of going after this guy that she's been uh put you're given the mission of assassinating and he discovers who she really is and like what her actual deal is and then the two of them have to like go on the run there's a lot it's like it's not insta love but it's insta lust like very pulpy insta lust like Oh, we just met. I shook your hand. Um, so let's go to the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> so the boning is going to commence to bone like right now. Right? We're going to commence to bone in the elevator. And it's just, it's so great. Like I laughed. I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at some of the stuff in the book, but I did. But it doesn't take away from the reading experience. Like you're still here for these two. And they're just Robin Hood, ridiculous do-gooderness and weird assassination missions from their mothers. It's just great. So that's I Am Justice by Diana Munoz-Stewart. Nice. Yeah, so I picked for the sci-fi angle, uh, Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez, which, amazingly, we actually have not talked about yet this year, which boggles my mind. Like, how? How? But here we are. I'm going to talk about it. And I picked it because what I love about this book is that, to me, it marries a little bit of noir, a a lot of sci-fi, and, like, a great sense of humor. And it does feel like the kind of story, I mean, much funnier than the book inside of the book in The Blind Assassin, for the record. Um, But, like, it's, I do think it, I think it's, like, new era pulp in a in the best possible way. I love it so much. It is about the captain of a crew who do like, you know, there's like a shipping crew. They deliver small cargo. They exist on very little money. Um, the captain is Eva Innocente and she is like foul mouth and like very no nonsense and just, you know, wants to protect her crew, make a living, not have to deal with other people in their garbage which, of course, is exactly what she has to deal with for the whole book. Uh, Her sister is kidnapped by, like, the space mafia called The Fridge. And they won't take money for payment, which is good because Eva doesn't have any. What they want is for her to run missions for them that are increasingly dangerous. And she doesn't want her crew to be involved, so she's, like, got to make up all of these excuses for why they have to go on these weird missions and, like, not let them in on it. And they're all very close. There is a romance subplot that's amazing. And there's, like, psychic cats and, like, a weird, like, alien emperor who's following her around demanding that she become part of his harem and like blowing things up when she says no and it just it is it's just like the biggest 
most fun, again, over the top, like Amanda said, sort of storyline. It's so entertaining. It's so well done. It just sucks you right in. And I think it I think it I, I think it does qualify. So again, that's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. Side note, the sequel is coming out in the fall of this year. So that's something we can all be excited about. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we hope you are all doing as well as is possible in these wild and crazy times. Uh, if you are so inclined to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps juice the algorithm so other people can find us and we do like to see the feedback. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between episodes, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am also mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And that's our show. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>